Well, a very warm welcome to the 2023 World Retail Congress Hall of Famer inductee, Jennifer Wu, Chairman and CEO of the Lane Crawford Joyce Group, Asia's premier fashion retail brand, management and distribution group. Well, so the story goes, in August 1850, two Scots, Thomas Ash Lane and Nian Crawford, opened a shop in a makeshift bamboo structure on the waterfront at the present location of Daewoo Road, Hong Kong, using each of their individual surnames. Lane Crawford later occupied a number of retail sites along the road and also at Queen's Road Central in the early 1900s. The rest, they say, is history. Today, the group that you chair and run comprises of three main components. Uh, Lane Crawford, the iconic luxury department store, globally recognised for its fashion edit, peerless service, visually inspiring environments and a heritage of innovation since 1850. Joyce, the cutting-edge fashion boutique, which has served as a direction-setter, tastemaker and champion of independent design for more than 50 years, and Imagintex, China's first fashion, beauty and lifestyle brand management and distribution business. Now, we'll unpack a little bit of this later on, but first... What were your first retail memories? I, I remember as a child, my grandmother giving me a shiny sixpence and I went to the local sweet shop with sort of, you know, eyes open and, and I can still smell that sweet sort of sickly smell. And I, I used up that sixpence immediately. What were your first retail memories? I guess every child's retail memory starts in school with the tuck shop, right? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, saving enough money to go and buy the tuck shop um, candies, whatever they were, that was your preference. So I I guess that would be my first memory. But I also remember looking at the um, tuck shop and and seeing the guy behind the tuck shop, you know, exchange money for the candy. And uh, I went home with my sister back then and I developed some kind of product. I can't even remember what it was. And I decided to do my own little shop. You're, you're a retailer even those very early days. I did. And, I, and and then I got in trouble because we weren't allowed to do business. <laughs> so uh, all my product was confiscated. <laughs> so that was my earliest memory. <laughs> what was it that sort of made retail interesting you for as a career, Jennifer? Oh, that's a good question, David. Um I was actually tricked into it (laughs) Uh, because after college, uh, when I I graduated, I I got a job in um, advertising in Boston. And uh, as a student, I could only get an H-1 visa or student visa. And I had to apply for the permanent visa to work in the U.S. And while I was waiting for my permanent visa, my father kind of said, oh, why don't you just spend some time in Hong Kong in this little business of ours and uh, in an internship and uh, see how it goes. I said, for the summer only, I'm going back to the U.S. <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> and uh, I said, He must have known. Yeah, it, well, it he had a plan that I had no idea about because I arrived and I think I received business cards. And <laughs> I was just like, uh-oh, this does not feel like an internship, but here we go. <laughs> and th- that was uh, in 99. <laughs> now, one of the key sort of factors of the way in which you've driven the business is a focus on innovation. Why is innovation so important to you? 
What do you mean by innovation? Because there's a lot of different definitions of innovation. So, well, I suppose that's a good question to start with. Uh, I, I suppose you know, successful retailers have always been innovative. That's in the in the DNA of being a successful retailer. But but you've created within the group a whole series of ways to bring out the innovation that's inside of people and the innovation that you can create from using people from outside of the retail sector. So what's driven you to think that that's an important driver for success? Hmm. Well, I I guess I've never been a cookie cutter person myself. I I don't like things to, you know, come exactly out of the box and we use it exactly like that. Um, So I think it's it's always about finding um, different things that come together that were never together before to be able to create something new and I I guess in terms of my personal interest is that I don't like repeating the same thing over and over again either um, so that really sparks me to think of new ways of achieving things but having said that it's not about reinventing the wheel all the time it's about how do we level up and how do we you know go from one season to the next season and really push the boundaries each time to try something new and I have to say that in my career there have been things that worked really well and there are things that completely didn't work so I think it's in the trying um, and in the practice of trying and the practice of retail that you you get better at it and you get to know your customers a lot more. You get to know your team a lot more. And I think if everybody holds back and doesn't give their all and it doesn't have the courage to fail, I think a business is, is, is really heading towards a different direction. Um, so we look at opportunities by saying, okay, how can we do things differently? How can we look at solving a problem in a different way? Now, do you think you've learned more from the things that went right or the things that have gone wrong? <laughs> both, actually, both. Um, obviously, I think in terms of learning, you you learn more when you fail, I think, as a human being in general. I think it's it's the most difficult things that you go through in life that you look back and you're like, okay, that's that's what shaped who, who, who I am today. Um, so I think in a business, it's a very, very similar. But it's really important to also celebrate those successes as well as celebrate the lessons learned from failures. Now... Community is something that's clearly very important to you personally and with the business. How important is it and why is it to support the community that you serve? People. At the end of the day, a business is people-led and it serves people serving people. <laughs> and a community is really made up of people. It's not a spreadsheet. It's not a PL. It's, you know, it is not your cash flow. It is people. So if you aren't connected to people internally, people externally, the community around you that supports you, um, I think you're really disconnecting from the, the basic intention of the business. Over the course of your career with the group, you've worked in many different areas, operations, merchandising, marketing, finance. Which of those have you enjoyed the most? Ooh. (laughs) Well, my favourite is definitely buying. (laughs) I loved that time. That was really the beginning um, of, I mean, that... 
I think that was the beginning of my internship, and that was what I spent the three months working with. It, who I spent my first three months working with is the buyers, and after you, I started doing that. Oh, you cannot turn back. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit addictive. <laughs> and what is it about the buying process that you enjoyed? Was it the they're exploring, the finding something new, the finding something different. Yeah, I, I think it's working with the product and uh, working with the brand principal, the showroom at that time. And then it's really a, a blending of the art and the science because it's not just all creative. It's also you need to look at the numbers of how you performed before, but you can't only look at the numbers because if you go by the numbers, then you know that's also a dead end too. So you need to really marry the the art and the science together. Um, and uh, then once you decide on what you, we want to buy, what is it that we want to bring to our customer? Then when it arrives in the store, how do we bring it to life as we imagined it in the showroom? And through that process is working with our sales team, working with our VM team, even working with the logistics team to get the product <laughs> onto the floor as quickly as possible. All of that together is like a beautiful orchestra, you know, performing a pitch perfect symphony, you know. <laughs> that is, that's a wonderful process that we have the opportunity in this business to do again and again and again every season. That's a lovely analogy because I think we forget that the process of identifying a product and then getting into the store at the right time in the right quantities, is a science and an art in its own. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's a lot of fun um, unboxing it um, and bringing it into the store. And, and you know, after the buy, you know, you, you come back to Hong Kong and you speak to the sales staff and you say, oh, we bought this brand and we bought this product and we bought this and it's getting really exciting. And they're like, okay, I can't wait for it to arrive. Then it arrives and you're like, it's finally here. And, you know, you're working together to make it, you know, shine and glow in the store. I mean, that process is, is magic in the making. And if we find it fun, if we find it exciting uh, and we love it so much, then our customers will feel that passion feel that um, love, and they will experience that too. So that was the area that you enjoyed the most. What about the area that you learned the most from? <laughs> the area I learned the most, mm, I would say it's how things can come together with a lot of people. Um, so the leadership part is definitely the part that I learned the most because it's in the practice of every day, every week, every month, every year that you get better and better at that. So um, I would say I started my position as the president of Lane Crawford being quite young <laughs> and so learning as I was um, operating and I was trying new things of putting people together um, executing my vision and every year every season I would adjust that a little bit more and I guess that is really if I look back that is what I've learned the most and how I did things before versus how I'm doing things now is very very different. Now in that transformation process that you've gone through and you've taken the team through what do you think the key challenges uh, that you faced? Well it's really um quite fitting. I mean, preparing and thinking about my retail career and talking to you today, I realized that, you know, my career is really bookended by SARS 
and also the COVID. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> so if you look at it that way, it's... A uh, baptism it, of fire, as we say. <laughs> it really comes full circle, you know. So I, I, I saw what um, the business was like during SARS and, um, and then how it recovered after uh, SARS and the timing was perfectly matched with China opening up as well and also luxury um, expansion and the rise of luxury around the world. Um, so that was a huge growth for the industry and for us. Uh, so I, I, I saw the onset of all the uh, digital platforms and um, then that really was supercharging China as a story going forward as well. So together it was between SARS and COVID, it was, it was an incredible um, cycle to, to watch. And um, actually, in the first two years of COVID, China had a huge growth. I think we, I mentioned that to you before, is that 2020, the end of 2020 and 2021, um, those were two great years in the mainland for growth. And to what extent, in terms of the complexity of running a business, when you look at, in a sense, those two bookends, and in the middle of those bookends, you've got the you know, the rise of, of e-commerce in its various different forms. To what extent, when you were looking at framing strategy, did you have to get a complete understanding of the way in which digital was going to impact the physical and the relationships that those two things were going to have as a strategy for the business going forward? Uh, during the growth of all the digital platforms, they were all pure plays. And uh, for us, we were not a pure play. We, we were born from bricks and mortar. So when we launched our um, online business, it was really looking at it as an omni-channel proposition, right? So that was really the challenge of, of bringing those two languages together and understanding how it could be seamless and um, frictionless for the customer and that was a big learning process for for us internally and there weren't many people doing that at the time no no not very many people so there was no there was no uh, playbook at all uh, it was launched in 2011 uh, so um, that together with doing that in China <laughs> is another spin to it that uh, required a, a, a new way of looking at things. And uh, operating in, in China at the speed at which everything's working over there, it is so different than anywhere else in the world. So I, I, we're very lucky to be in that market. And also it is challenging to be in that market, but it's extremely exciting. Now, many people have uh, written off department stores um, probably for the last 70-odd years. Mm. It's never happened. <laughs> um, they've changed, but uh, they're still there. You know, as an operator of both uh, physical, virtual, lots of different styles of formats, when you look at department stores, what role do you think the department store is going to be playing in the lives of consumers going forward? Mm. That's such a great question. I mean, we run a specialty department store and um, I really love what we do. The opportunity, the platform that we have to be able to bring experiences, um, different brands from around the world to our customers and to be able to develop real relationships with our customers uh, over generations. That, I think, 
will continue over time. Uh, and when people do say it's the death of department stores, well, to be honest, to run this business is not easy at all. So uh, I guess it's the death of running department stores poorly, perhaps. <laughs> so I think our challenge is to make sure we run a healthy business, a, a business that is focused on what sustainability to us really means, which is a, a business that can endure over time. So we're a bottom line driven business. We're not a valuation business. We are family owned business. We, we, you know, it's not private equity valuation kind of managed. So we really look at building our assets, which is our internal people and our customers. And how do we um, take those relationships those moments and carry them forward in the long term. It is not a flash in the pan. It's not just uh, come today and gone tomorrow. You know, we're here for the long term. Um, we've been around since 1850 and uh, we have a long future ahead. Now, you've successfully repositioned the group to contain the largest selection of luxury international designer fashion and lifestyle brands in the regions. What role do brands play and how do you select the right combination and curate the brands that you take? Mm. I think that question, you know, asked at different times in the evolution of Lane Crawford will we'll get a different answer. Um, but the answer that will persist over different times, different decades, is the fact that our, it's our mandate to bring the best things from around the world to our customers. So at the time when we repositioned, it was really the growth of the luxury brands as well. So uh, we partnered with a lot of the, the brands that everybody uh, knows and sees on, on every uh, street corner now. And we also partnered with a lot of new designers, designers that nobody has heard of. And we started to build our business with them. And that mandate, we continue to push our buyers and our international scouts to look for. Now, during COVID, it was a little bit more difficult because I think the younger designers found it a little bit more difficult to sustain during that time. And for us, for us to be able to buy into a collection, we need a sizable collection. So, um, and not being able to travel, to work with them personally, to mentor them personally, it posed a bit of an issue. So now that the borders are opening up again, we're looking at um, going out and having a call out to all the young designers and bringing them into our fold again. Um, that together with all our partnerships with our, the luxury brands that we work with together to create a, a proposition that allows our customers to come to shop head to toe, mix and match. And, uh, you know, as our home business says, we want them to think Lane Crawford from the moment they wake up in the morning <laughs> to the moment they go to bed. And in terms of how we are curating our stores, we are looking for everything from a full lifestyle point of view for our customer. And in that context, do you see brands becoming more or less important in the next five years? I think it's a balance. I don't think it's the only thing that we will be selling and uh, the only partners we'd be working with. So it's really a coming together of those luxury brands together with new designers, together with other creatives. And it's about 
how do we bring them together in a new way to our customers? So our buyers are working with our brands to uh, maybe collaborate with a Chinese designer or to come up with a different way of, of presenting their product this season. So it's all about how do we really highlight uh, the things that we love every season and bring it to a customer. I think, you know, from, from that moment when I started in the buying department of finding those products and bringing it onto the floor and visual merchandising it on a floor on a Friday night before the weekend, you know, <laughs> that continues at scale um, of how we present the season, how we present our portfolio, how we work with our designers, how we work with our brands. And it, it's an evolving and it, it has its own momentum. Well, I want to pick up on that point you just made about visual merchandising, because one of the most striking things about your stores is the superb visual merchandising and the way in which it sort of navigates you across the journey of the store as opposed to it being sort of confined from department to department. What is it in the DNA now of Lane Crawford that has that fluidity of visual merchandising? <laughs> well, when we design our stores, we really don't want a sea of racks. That's something that, you know, I'm you know, I'm I'm very passionate about to make sure that it is a unfolding journey of discovery. Uh, when we built uh, IFC, we dedicated a very big proportion of our square footage to visual merchandising. And at that time, very few people did that, especially in Hong Kong, where the real estate is very dear. Yes. <laughs> so I think uh, we had some questions when we put the... Um, plan on the table where we dedicated a very large proportion of our store space to visual merchandising and a very large proportion of our space to VIP services. Um, at that time, uh, not very many retailers did that. And we've continued with that formula and looking at how we can bring different partners in, whether it is um, a retail or brand partner or an F&B partner or an artist or working with Sotheby's. Um, it, it, you know, it's every season allows us a blank palette to kind of say, OK, what can we bring forward this season? And, and who is the conductor? Coming back to your analogy of all of that. It's a team. It's a team <laughs> together. And, um, you know, going back to leadership, about learning how we uh, work together to present every season, that continues to be, um, well, let me say it this way. It's kind of like a, a team playing a soccer match every single, you know, every single game. They try to do it together and build their teamwork every single time, right? So we have a chance every season to do that with our teammates, right? So whether it is uh, one season saying, okay, let's let's um, get to know each other with trust exercises, <laughs> or we say, okay, let's do art jamming and interpret each other's minds and, and expression, or um, going on a market visit together and uh, really getting inspired together and starting to come up with the new ideas together. Um, you know, every season, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, but I think the commitment has to be that we come together to create this together. 
And uh, you can't do that from work from home, David. Well, I was going to ask <laughs> you about that because, you know, you're famous for a very iconic head office. And, you know, when it was built, it was, uh, I mean, extraordinary. People weren't doing that type of thing in terms of a very highly creative, collaborative environmental space. How important is that type of environment in hindsight now in terms of, you know, people had to work from home and now hopefully they're back into the office? Very important. Um, actually, we had a lot of um, team members who didn't want to work from home in Hong Kong. So I think we had a very different experience than the rest of the world. Um, but during COVID, actually, what we did miss was the buying, um, traveling to do the buy. Yes. Um, and the moments that we have in the waiting room at the lounge <laughs> or, you know, in between appointments in the car, um, that togetherness uh, we missed. And being able to feel the product and, and then when the product arrives for us to be able to uh, physically show the product to our sales staff, to train our sales staff. There was a moment where we, the, the office and the store staff weren't able to see each other, um, but we kept both open, but uh, there was no cross-physical um, meeting. So, you know, that, that was tough. That was tough for a business like ours. Um, and so we had to find really creative ways of coming together physically. We did live streaming from mainland to Hong Kong. We did all sorts of things. Thank goodness for technology. Thank goodness for mainland being so technologically advanced. Uh, it gave us the tools to be able to do what we did during that time. And did you experiment with uh, live streaming in terms of selling yes. and using your associates yes. to sell? What's your experience of that? We, we were forced to do that. Uh, we were forced to find a way to bring the store to our customer, even if they couldn't come to us. So very lucky that in, in mainland there are a lot of tools, as I said, that enabled the um, the staff and the customers to kind of communicate and we live streamed and uh, everybody had to learn to kind of create the content and <laughs> it was uh, everybody in the on the sales floor became content creators in essentially uh, in Hong Kong we were very lucky as well because we had a um, proprietary application that we were working on which was to uh, a solution for something else that we said oh we could redeploy this to uh, the sales staff so that they can work with their customers in a more intimate way during covid um, and we utilized that tool and um, so mainland had their tool hong kong had their tool um, and we were able to uh bring our store to our customers. And uh, then we needed to train our staff on how to be content creators. <laughs> was that difficult? Was it difficult? I think it was fun. It was really yeah. fun. Um, and I think there was a, a wide range of um, different types of content creation. Uh, but we even had internal competitions at that time. We had to keep ourselves busy and excited. <laughs> so we had a lot of competitions internally on who had the best content that week. And it, it became a, a, a motivation every week to get us um, through the days where sometimes some stores had zero people coming through because of the because of the restrictions. Uh, and what have you learned from that in a post-COVID world? And are you continuing with some of those ways of selling now? Absolutely. It's become a, uh, a very basic practice for us. To, um, we haven't turned any of that off. Um, that has continued over time. And in terms of um, when things were closed, 
and we didn't really have a view of when it was opening. Everything was very ambiguous. We also deployed a lot of data uh, internally to allow us to feed our sales staff, feed our um, buyers, uh, feed our operators to, to be able to understand how to focus on the opportunities and what are things that are working really well and what are things that we really need to focus on as well to get right. Um, so using data, using like live streaming tools, social media tools uh, that enabled us to really uh, bring to the customer a, a more personalized um, uh, offering during the COVID time. Now, you talked a lot about different types of skill sets mm. that you're deploying in, in the business, some out of need, some out of necessity, some out of vision in terms of strategy. Mm. Looking forward, what, what do you think the next generations of retailers' skill set needs to be in order to be successful? That's, that's a very big passion point of mine, which is, you know, retail talent. Um, uh, gosh, the, the future of retail is about retail talent, isn't it, at the end of the day? Because it's, it's, it's really a people-driven business. Um, so it's... It's really tough right now to find talent in retail. I think that everybody is experiencing that around the world. Why is that? Uh, what can we do to change that going forward? What must we do to change that going forward? Um, that is a responsibility of everybody in this industry to do. And we take that responsibility here very, very seriously to build talent going forward. Um, we saw during the, you know COVID how resilient our team were. You know, when things get tough, what happens? Well, people step up. You know, the resilience of the human spirit, the ability to innovate when you have limits. Uh, I think all of that together makes me long on people um, and makes me realize how important talent is. And there aren't any um, cadet programs anymore uh, to build retail talent. So... That's something that we're definitely focusing on internally to to remold and reshape and and make it exciting and to tell the retail talents out there, people who have just just a spark of interest in our business. We need to say, why is it so important? What is it about being in retail that can be an industry that you can really hang your hat on and go the distance on, right? So, so what would you say to somebody who's thinking about what career they should go into at the moment and they are, you know, looking at retail, looking at other things as well? What would you say to them to say, actually, retail has the ability to provide you in terms of a career and a, and a, a way of life that is something that is amazingly engaging? So what I always say to young talents is, number one, retail is an industry that when you have a vision of something, you can put that in practice right away and see the results. I mean, it's extremely rewarding and fulfilling in that respect. And the second thing is, it's a business, right? It's a business that you get a chance every season to improve yourself on, right? It's not like you've done it and then you won, you failed, and that's it, right? It's a, it's like a, 
um, you have a chance, a new chance every single season. So that is extremely exciting. Can you imagine an industry that gives you a, a new chance every six months, every three months, every month, every drop? Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, in terms of this fashion and lifestyle luxury business, it's really a balance of that art and science. So if you want to have a little bit of art and a little bit of science, this is a perfect industry to do that in because you get to be exposed to that creative creativity, the beauty in the world, and get to uh, be in touch with all the designers. And then on the other side, it's matched with business strategy, some, you know, the retail math behind it all. And being able to balance the two and seeing how it can uh, deliver a robust business that's sustainable over time, that's really super interesting and super exciting. Um, and then this industry is also people-driven. So if you're a people-driven person and if you like being with people, if you like working with people, this is the industry for you, for sure. Because without people, nothing can happen in this industry. <laughs> so it's very much the notion of where human rhythms meet algorithms. Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. And and that is really, you know, a lot of people talk about algorithms going forward and AI for this business. And I think that's great. And that helps us save time because it does a lot of the grunt work that we might not want to spend our time on. But it doesn't replace that human insight, that human spirit, that human touch that this business so much needs. So there's a combination of the two that's going to be able to supercharge businesses in the future. So I, I would say to any new retail talent or any talent that's interested in retail, the two advice I always give them is number one, if you want to do this business, you need to go the distance because you need seasons under your belt. It's like the, the amount of game time you have under your belt is going to be your asset over time, right? So you can't do it and then give up <laughs> halfway through. You need to go the distance in this industry. The second thing is to find a retail master that you want to learn from. And uh, again, to go the distance with this master, to learn the craft from practice, from how they make decisions to how you make decisions. And it's really a master and apprenticeship kind of um, relationship going forward. So I think this business is about that and it has to be about that going forward. So in that context, who are your retail uh, masters who you admire? <laughs> well, I learned from, um, as you know, Bonnie Brooks, who is my retail mentor. Um, and so she uh, was my mentor for many years. So I, I still rabbit through the things that she <laughs> she kind of uh, instilled well, in me. You couldn't choose a better one than that. <laughs> yes. No. It, it was it was a, a real honor and a privilege to have her be my mentor during those 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 years. But when you look around the world, Jennifer, I know you're back traveling as uh, uh, maybe quite as much as you were. Uh, pre-COVID, uh, but hopefully that will increase over time. But when you look around the world, what retail formats and ideas gave you inspiration in your career? I would say I'm a customer, David, myself. <laughs> and I guess it's my own um, expectations and desires and wants as a consumer that really drive a lot of... Uh, 
what we create internally here. Um, there are a lot of things that inspire me beyond retail that uh, we bring into, you know, how we do things. For example, when we first developed IFC, um, when we repositioned Link Crawford, we brought in a hotelier to come in to run our operations. That was, you know, something from the left field to kind of... Um, uh, bring a different spin to service um, than what retail experiences. So it's really about the cross-pollination of all different uh, industries, all different new concepts, ideas, and creativity that um, keep us going. But at the very core of it is really what we, everybody here, um, desires as a customer themselves. And I think if we're not geared towards being a customer-centric company to understand what that customer needs and wants, um, I think you're missing the the point of what this business is about. Now, there are not that many people who have the vision to bring a hotelier into a retail operation. What did you learn from that experience? And and he's still with you, I think, as CEO yes, at the moment, yes. isn't he? So it's people are people. <laughs> people. <laughs> at the end of the day, people. People drive this business. And if you understand people and if you understand, you know, how teams can work together um, and lead the teams from season to season, I think that that is important. It doesn't matter what industry you come from. If you have a passion about our customer, if you have passion about what we do, and if you are a people-oriented person, then, then this is the type of industry you should be in. Is there anything that you saw through the eyes of the hotelier that you brought in from a retail context that you wouldn't have seen through another lens? Hmm. Well, it's to to see beyond the retail numbers. I think we use dashboards internally, you know, retail dashboards, and sometimes those dashboards might not be the only thing to tell you the direction to go. So it's to be able to uh, bring in new senses of things that will be important for the business and how do you incorporate those new sensors into your business and adjust your proposition. Now, one of the things when you're inducted into something like the uh, World Retail Congress Hall of Fame, Jennifer, it gives you an opportunity to look sort of backwards at your career and then hopefully forwards in terms of what you want to do in the future. Um, what would you say your greatest learnings have been over the course of your retail career? And what impact will that have in the next sort of uh, chapter of uh, the group's story? Yes, I would say that the lessons learned with the two bookends of SARS and COVID <laughs> is that some basic fundamentals of retails don't change over time. Uh, and I think uh, COVID gave our organization the opportunity to go back to those basics and do those basics really, really well and create a foundation that is that, that can sustain over a long term. So that is uh, something that we went to during COVID and it proved to be delivering green shoots now for us. Um, secondly, I would say focus on the micro, not the macro. I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of people including myself sometimes, you know, there's so much noise around you. How can you focus on what is the most important thing and not what the noise around you is saying? So really focusing on the micro, not the macro. And finally, 
relationships, you know, customer intimacy, um, relationship matters. So internal relationships, customer relationships, um, partnership relationships, all of this in times of, of challenge and difficulty, that's what will sustain you over the long term. Well, Jennifer, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, many congratulations again for being inducted into the World Retail Congress Hall of Fame for 2023. Uh, Jennifer, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you, David. Thank you.